In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The details of the birth of Jesus are recorded throughout Scripture, of course, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get it uh, recorded in in a variety of ways. Uh, Mark, who, uh, who penned the, the first gospel, he doesn't go there at all. John, well, he gives us a deep theological um, expose, and his account of nativity is summed up in one sentence in the prologue to John's gospel. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so it's kind of left to Matthew and Luke to give us the precise details of Jesus' birth in that stable in Bethlehem. But even they want to squabble about it. Even they come from differing directions, rather like uh, competing reporters from rival newspapers. Their reports have differing details and they approach their task in differing ways. Matthew, he sees the Christ child born into a world of harshness and fear. And before Jesus is out of the pram, he goes through ordeals that would uh, confound and horrify most of us. He's even whisked away into exile in Egypt. Uh, But Matthew is telling and teaching us something very important. For he's making clear that this Christ child, this Jesus born in a stable, is a child of Israel whose being is being protected by his heavenly Father, God, for a very special and important purpose. For this infant, this Christ child, is to be the rescuer of his people. But Luke's gospel is different. I like Luke's gospel, don't you? It's kind of gentle and cuddly, a bit like myself, really. (laughs) For Jesus is born into a community of expectation and of faith. There's songs of joy and hymns of praise. There's a family atmosphere and a friendly environment. Shepherds are filled with joy. Angels sing of goodwill and peace for everybody. Jesus Jesus doesn't become an emergency evacuee, but rather he's dedicated to God in the temple. And Simeon, the old priest, speaks words of wonder, and his wife, Anna, she expresses her delight. And the only negative note, well, that seems to be that coded warning that Mary's heart may be pierced with sorrow because her child will grow up to face opposition. Luke paints pictures for us, pictures of hope. And his readers, whether in biblical times or whether in our present day, are swaddled in delight. (laughs) Are you swaddled in delight? I hope so. We're meant to be swaddled in delight and eager anticipation for the gospel tells us that we have heard, seen, acknowledged good news for each and every one. 
But what all the Gospel writers agree on, each and every one, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, is that our faith is not founded upon Christmas. Our faith as Christian believers has nothing to do with nativity. What they make plain is that our faith as believers is founded upon that most remarkable thing that we know and call Easter. It's founded upon the wonder of the cross and the glory of resurrection. Oh yes, without Christmas, there couldn't have been an Easter. Of course. But without Easter, Christmas is simply meaningless. Christmas might just as well be about the birth of a baby. Who's ever had a baby? That's a surprise, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> Babies are born. I have a, 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 a wonderful sister-in-law who is a midwife, and she will tell you that she's um, helped in the birth of hundreds of babies. Praise be. But that which we rejoice in and that which we celebrate has nothing to do with merely the birth of a baby. For that which we rejoice in and that which we celebrate is the wonder of the cross and the glory of resurrection. For that same Christ child that was laid in that manger is the same Christ child of Calvary who went through that which we rejoice in, but that which was most awful in his death upon a cross. But praise be, he lives. For at the centre of our faith is that which we acknowledge and rejoice in, the glory of resurrection. Through the Christ child, the earth has been shaken. Creation has died and risen again. The ways of eternity have been seen and touched by us human beings. The ways of Herod and all like him have been exposed. God is present with us to affirm the life of every persecuted child, every refugee, everyone oppressed by sin, each and every one of us have reason to be joyful. Yes, we've had a good Christmas. I hope you have. Did you enjoy it? One or two did, yeah. Amen. It's been a wonderful time. A time of giving and receiving. How many of you still got Christmas trees in one piece? Yeah, most of ours is on the floor now, but that's all right. Yeah, and we've enjoyed decorations and pulling those crackers. It hurts your arms, doesn't it? Yeah. We've enjoyed turkey. Anybody else have anything exotic? Uh, yeah? Now, don't shout at me all at once. A nut roast. Oh, how sad. Yeah, and what was it? You went for an Indian. Sad people around there. <laughs> you had lamb. Well, there you go. Listen, friends, I hope you enjoyed it all. I did. I hope you had a wonderful time. And what about bubble and squeak on Boxing Day? Oh, and Brussels sprouts. Yes. Oh, it's been a wonderful few days. Yes. 
And it's great. And it's wonderful that we've enjoyed it. But let's be clear, we're not allowed to hang around and wallow in it. I know we're only a couple of days after Christmas Day, but Luke especially, and in fact all the Gospel writers, are eager that we move on apace. For we meet and greet Jesus, the child of Bethlehem, in story and in worship, but only so that we can be spirit-filled channels of peace and wisdom and mission ourselves. And unless we grow in stature and in depth, spiritual depth, day by day by day, eagerly embracing the vision of Jesus to transform this sin-wearied world, well, we might just as well put him away in the loft with the decorations. God calls us. He calls us to put an end to all that makes mothers weep, refugees march, children starve. God calls us to be his servants and his instruments of love and peace in this his world today. And God will not be satisfied until all humanity reflects the songs of the shepherds and the fulfilling dreams of Gentile travellers. So, as in a day or two, we embark on another year, on another decade, I pray that we'll step up to the mark, that we will step out on the road eagerly, with eager anticipation. I pray that we will be ready to proclaim the gospel message of good news. That message that we rejoiced about on Christmas morning. Christ, our Saviour, is born. Oh yes, but there's more. I pray that we'll be ready to share the richness and wonder of his life and his love and particularly to proclaim his death and the glory of resurrection. I pray that we'll be ready to share with this world and to share with this community of Linfield that Jesus lives today for each and every one of us. Of course, we know what Jesus the Christ child offers to the world. Love your neighbour as yourselves. Feed the hungry. Stretch out a hand to the poor. Don't hate Love your enemies, don't harbour a grudge, don't take revenge, don't stand idly by in the face of injustice, forgive one another, love one another, and there is so much more. These are the foundation stones of the new world that the Christ child offers, and we who believe it know that, but we cannot, and we must not, keep it to ourselves. It's our responsibility to share. It's our responsibility to share that gift with the people in this world. You know, just before Christmas, uh, a minister friend of mine um, sent me some uh, statistics. We like a few statistics, don't we? Uh, Ray, a minister friend, uh, sent some statistics, and they amazed me, and they upset me too. And I quote, extensive research over the last 15 years shows that 95% 
of Christians had no intention of inviting anyone to church, even though they may have someone in mind. And at the same time, three million people say that they are ready and open to receiving such an invitation. I'm going to share that again. Extensive research over 15 years shows that 95% of Christians have no intention of inviting anyone to church, even though they may have someone in mind. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel ashamed. It makes me feel embarrassed to think that only 5% of believers have the faith and the commitment and the courage to proffer that invitation when so many people are ready and willing and want to be invited. Now, I have no way of validating those figures, but I do believe 100% that we need to throw open the doors of our churches not to let the Messiah in, but to let the Messiah out into his world today. And to do that, we need to be fully engaged in our witness and in our mission. Each and every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, if you want to put it in terms of a place where I was born and brought up, we need to get our fingers out and play our part to the full in mission and in evangelism in 2020. Uh, I'm going to share a little t a story with you that um, I'm sure will be very, very familiar to you. You've probably heard it before. It involves four characters. They're called Everybody, Somebody, Anybody and Nobody. There was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it. But nobody realised that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Dear friends, this new year, don't leave it to someone else. Don't stand back when there's opportunity, when there's opportunity to share the gospel and share the good news, to share the gift. Don't stand back for it is our responsibility to proclaim the wonder of new life, of peace and love through a risen Saviour, Jesus Christ. Oh, we've all enjoyed receiving gifts. Yes, of course. But wasn't it better actually giving gifts? Actually saying to somebody, I love you so much, here's a present for you. Well, we have the opportunity as believers to do just that. We have the opportunity to say, I love you so much, and God loves you so much, 
and he affords you and gives you this gift, his son, our saviour, the Christ child of Bethlehem. And our task, yours and mine, is to go out in the new year with a confident knowledge that people are longing to hear that which the Christ child came to bring. Our task in 2020 is to proclaim the gospel of a risen saviour. And when we do, to pray that through the wonder of the baby of Bethlehem, our God will indeed turn this world upside down. And as 2020 gets underway, I pray that we will see the glory of God afresh that we will own the glory of God in you and that we will proclaim the richness of that good news that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. That the love of God has demonstrated through nativity but more essentially through the glory of the cross is for each and every one of us. And when we do that, we will know the richness and the wonder of that which is God at work in our lives and in the lives of this world, for which surely we proclaim, thanks be to God. Amen.